1: Welcome to a momentous occasion here on Scoring at the Movies. It's our 100th podcast, number 100. We did it! The podcast is over, Chris. Syndication! Here we come. <laughs> 100 episodes
0: in a movie. What? Scoring at the Movies? The movie?
1: <laughs> the film. The Netflix special. You are an auteur, so it would be a film. Okay, screw it. We'll keep going. We'll keep on doing podcasts the ordinary way. Number 100. First one was Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. 100, D2, The Mighty Ducks, the sequel. Your idea. Good one. Anyway, thanks so much for downloading this episode, and we hope a bunch of others from our catalog, including The Mighty Ducks, the original. For the 100th time, I'll warn you that we'll be spoiling today. I'm the middle-aged grump who just doesn't like Mighty Ducks movies, but I would up and quit my job. My job. First movie reference. The second my hockey pals come calling, Ryan Ellis, and here's the master of the triple deke. The man who hates those vicious Icelanders, Chrisson son De Gregorio. <laughs> Wait, I hate the Icelanders, but my last name is
0: Chrisson. You're a self-hating Iceland. I'm a self-hating, okay. Well, thank you, Ryan. No, this is the 100th episode of the podcast. So originally, I was getting ready to come by Ellis Studios to record this thing, and I was dressed to the nines in a suit with my bouffant hair slicked back. And then I ran into the kindly old gentleman that sharpens our microphones out back, and he reminded me that you don't do this for the glory, Ryan. You do it for the love of the pod. And so after a brief rollerblading escapade around the neighborhood staring at the sunset, I came to realize what's really important to me, and that is dressing like a slob and drinking beer while talking about mediocre movies. So thank you. Not a slow clap. Just a clap. Just a clap. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Last time we did an episode, King Richard... Two weeks ago, you did not have a beer. I didn't even mention it because you were drinking tea or something, but that's some kind of special thing over there. So open that up and tell me what it is. This is a
0: Rodenbach. It's a Belgian beer, a special vintage selection. This has been in my basement for about seven years, so we'll see if it's still good. Hold on. This is
1: our version of champagne.
0: That's right. It actually has the cork. There you <laughs> go. That was not fully work. That was an actual cork. So we'll see. It's going to be an experiment. I like this beer generally. It hasn't been in Ontario for like six years, which is one of the reasons why I've been putting off drinking it. I can't stand to drink the last
1: one, except for a special occasion. You've been pairing for, I don't know, 80 episodes, something like that. So I will sit back, let you take a sip, tell everyone what you think of that.
0: My thought on it may well be, Ryan, I'm going to go mooch some seed seed diet <laughs> for you or something, because it might not be good anymore. Tilly might too.
1: How is it, Chris? Is it good?
0: Still good, Ryan. Oh, Still good. good. We're all right. We're in the clear. I can now <laughs> drink in peace and slag on Mighty Ducks too. Now you did say,
1: good idea for this episode, Ryan. I will dispute that all right <laughs> off the top. The result isn't good. The idea was good. <laughs> by the way, I have got Crown Royal and Diet or was that, TC? One of the two. Not a frosted glass, though, so you might hear the ice jingling. Okay, bad idea, yes. Not a good movie. The Double D was released by Disney on March 25th. 1994, so this fits right into your whole thing about doing movies you know from your youth. You were not quite 13 when this came out. Yep. Like the first film, this was a hit. It was number one at the box office the first two weeks, a little bit ahead of Major League Two in both cases. We'll probably do that one one of these days. I can confidently say a better sequel than Mighty Ducks (laughs) 2. I enjoyed Major League Two. I didn't know I'd even seen this movie before, but my record show I had, but I just made it clear, not a fan. What? Well, you aren't either, but... Go ahead. What do you think? I feel like you have to break it down into chunks
0: because it wants to be a slapstick comedy complete with boiling sound effects and crap mm-hmm. like that. And then by the end, actually sort of midway, you've got Emilio Estevez Staring up into the sunset or sunrise on Venice Beach. With Field of Dreams-esque music, especially the yeah. opening, but that too. Yeah, and then by the end of it, you've got the We Are the Champions by friend playing. It wants to be a sports movie. So. Literally
1: waving the American flag. Yeah,
0: this felt less like a coherent movie and more like a sequence of satirical takes on the first movie that somebody just mashed together into like an hour and a half long stretch.
1: Good call. That's a good synopsis.
0: I don't take notes. This movie made me almost so close to stopping and taking notes because so much weird, disconnected, and jarring stuff was happening over and over and over that I just kept shaking my head saying, i got to remember to talk about this because it made no sense. This made no sense. This made no sense sense either. Somehow, I hated this movie less than other movies we have talked about. Hmm. Mystery Alaska. Our last hockey movie, which has been almost a year and a half. It feels like yesterday, because my hatred for that movie still burns just as bright as when we first watched it. I'd rather
1: watch that one again. Really? This movie is aimed at kids. All these movies, the Mighty Ducks films, Mystery Alaska, are on Disney+, Plus, so they were aiming for that market. But did they think kids are this lame and this stupid? I didn't laugh. Yes. I guess they do. It isn't funny. The first one isn't funny either, but I think I said in that podcast, our very first one ever, that I'd watch it again. I find it kind of touching at the end, especially the connection with Estevez and Joshua Jackson playing Charlie. Yeah. In this movie, their connection is barely at the beginning, and they might as well not even know each other for most of the rest of the film.
0: Charlie basically has no role to play in this movie, except to willingly give up his spot on the team at the end of the movie to become a coach, which I think we're supposed to have in awe. He wants to be a coach like Emilio Estevez moment there, but it doesn't work.
1: He's thinking of the team ahead of himself, and I like that, actually. You probably haven't heard of a book. I read this when I was a kid. If you've heard of it, kudos. It's called Hockey Fever, and I guess it's pronounced Gogan Falls. G-O-G-A-N-N-E, I believe it is. Okay. I read that when I was probably a teenager. If somebody recognized that, I'm sure they're nodding right now. Andy McFarland is <laughs> yes. the main character, yes. and he yes. gives up his skates so that Jimmy Youngduck, who skates, break when they go for the big game against the big Hawks-like, Iceland-like opponent. Jimmy they need. Andy's a good player. He's the leader of their team. He's been the main character in the whole book. But he gives up his skates so that Jimmy can play. And then the coach, who's this irascible, tough guy, Gene Hackman, Hoosiers kind of coach. You're big league kid, or something like that. Almost as if you really matter. So then Andy becomes the coach, well, a coach in the game, because Joe Taggart's the real coach. People that might know the book are probably just loving him on this whole thing right now. <laughs> so it reminded me of that. But at the same point, if you really want to look at it, is Charlie the worst player on this team? Why is Averman back? He wasn't funny in the first movie. The making is kid. He scores a goal in this movie. I don't know how he ever got near the puck. He's terrible. If you really want to go by the logic of who's the worst player that should have to give up their spot for Banks when he's healthy again, it wouldn't be Charlie. It'd probably be Averman. But I think what the movie is going for, and you probably just broke down,
0: for me, one of the fatal flaws of this movie, aside from the fact that, like I said, it doesn't actually feel like a proper movie in its construction anyway. What the first movie had going for it And I don't remember specifically what we said about that, by the way, (laughs) except that I don't think either one of us loved that movie as adult, but we both thought it was heartfelt, at least. Yes, definitely. But that movie relied on the relationship between Charlie and Gordon Bombay, Emilio Mm -hmm. Estevez, for that touching moment. And like you said, that doesn't exist in the second movie. It's trying to pull on the emotional heartstrings. Look at the sacrifice this kid is making so that his team can win in exactly the way you just described from that book, right? This player who's a good player is making a self-sacrifice for the betterment of all. And
1: he steps up. It's not like Gordon had said, who's going to sit off then for Adam? Exactly. Charlie does it before being asked. And that's the key, right? He has to step up himself. But what's missing is the fact
0: that Charlie has nothing to do leading up to that point in this movie, right? He just disappears
1: for basically like an hour and 20 minutes. After recruiting all the kids, like I joked about earlier, Averman... Quit your movie job right on the spot. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Goldman, ditch your parents' deli. Yeah, screw your parents' deli. Come with us right now. That move with Charlie at the end
0: can work, but you have to have him playing well. He has to be striving for something, and then the sacrifice is meaningful at that point. It's emotional. When you don't see Charlie, basically, like you said, from the point at the beginning of the movie when he gets all the old players together, the gang's getting back together, guys. To the very end, it means nothing. It's like, all right, I guess Charlie's not playing. (laughs) What do you do? We didn't see him for the entire movie anyway, basically. So, okay. It's just totally indicative to me of the laziness of screenwriting here. Gordon Bombay comes back into town. I'm
1: home. I'm sort of happy about it, sort of not. He wanted to try to play in the NHL. He was almost there. By the way, playing for The Waves. Yeah. And what's the end of the movie? Flag waving. (sighs) Ugh. Probably intentional by the less-than-talented screenwriter Stephen Brill, who wrote the first film, also Ready to Rumble, one of our worst movies ever, and he's a co-producer on this movie, so it was partly his vision, clearly, if he wrote it and he was a producer. This is making a
0: lot more sense to me now that I know that this guy wrote it. He gets back into town, and he's convinced to coach this team, and he finds Charlie and says, go get the rest of the team, and he just literally goes and gets the rest of the team right then, right there, like you said. And this is ninety four, ninety five when it's filming. 94. 94.
1: 93 they filmed
0: it, but 94 it came out. So it's not like cell phones are a thing. So he knows, down to a T, what everybody's day-to-day schedule is. He's so a stalker. That, so, yeah, so he can hop on his rollerblades. First four, movie had it. The second movie's got to have it, too. Got to have it. How the hell do you know where all these people are at all times? NSA. Yeah, I guess. He's an agent. Gordon Bombay comes back into town after getting injured and blowing up his NHL dream. And within three minutes, not only is he back in town, but the team's back together. And we already have a sad sack premise that this movie is going to be based on that some hockey apparel store owner wants to make Gordon Bombay the new face of junior hockey, I guess, for some Mm. reason. How many junior hockey coaches could you possibly name? Zero. Yeah, that's right. Because it's a ridiculous premise. And it's so ridiculous that even when this guy's trying to recruit Gordon, he says... Pat Riley, Tom Ditka, Bear Bryant. Mike Ditka. Mike, sorry, Mike Dick, Ditka. Bear Ditka, Bear the Bryant. The Bears. You know what's notably absent from that? Anybody relating to hockey, <laughs> and certainly anybody relating to junior hockey. So, of course, it's a ridiculous premise that you're going to make Gordon Bombay a household name for coaching some 12-and-under team in the, what is it, Goodwill
1: Goodwill games. games. A nice touch. I'm assuming it's got to be a comedic touch. How could it not be when the first team they play is Trinidad and Tobago? It is the cool runnings of junior hockey. Right Truly. Right? Germany does have hockey teams in the Olympics, so it's not that much of a stretch when we see them playing. I think we hear about them beating Russia and they beat Canada off screen, two hockey powers. So, why do we get a lot of Trinidad and Tobago and Italy? I think it's supposed to be funny. I think Stephen Brill and this director, Sam Weissman, his first movie, by the way, he did George of the Jungle. The first Mighty Decks film, as we said, is watchable, it's entertaining enough, it's even a bit emotional. But this one's not, so the Weissman-Brill combination doesn't make this work at all. But this notion, maybe the funniest notion in this non-funny movie that they're playing, TNT, Italy, Iceland, Russia, Canada, Germany, Italy. (laughs) Although Italy's not a hockey power either. Germany is more powerful than the internet would suggest. Maybe not back in the early 90s, actually, but when the Olympics happen now, they don't tend to make the medal rounds, but they're not a non-hockey power at all. I think it's just supposed to be funny. We've talked about movies, specifically
0: comedies before, where neither one of us could claim to have laughed a lot, but there were moments in those movies where you might be like, a slight nod to yourself, yeah, that was cute, or yeah, that was kind of humorous, even if it's not laugh out loud stuff. Not even the barest hint of humor in this movie to me. Now, like you said, you have to acknowledge that this is aimed at kids, but presumably it's aimed at the age of the kids on screen. So you're thinking 11, 12, 13 year olds probably? When I was 13 years old, now granted, I was 80 years old when I was 12, because I'm a grumpy old
1: man of a kid too. But You're 112 right now. Exactly. Maybe 12. Wait, I look 214, okay. something like that. I look okay for my mental age. Methuselah is yeah, across the table for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even at that age, none of the jokes in this would have really been funny. And if what you were just saying is true, then that is extraordinarily subtle attempts at humor by these guys. But most of the time, I felt physically assaulted by the attempts at humor whether or not it was the writing or the sound whenever something was meant to happen that was supposed to be funny was clearly not and so they insert some really obnoxious and loud cartoon sound effects over top of it i couldn't figure out where the humor was meant to be a movie like this doesn't have to be funny if it's touching and heartfelt and like a feel-good story at the end but for reasons that we've already touched on i don't think it's that either Not just because Charlie plays no meaningful
1: role in this movie. I feel like none of the kids play a meaningful role in this movie. Well, a lot of the goals in the big game are scored by the newbies. So that's one of the things, too. And when do we know about them? Well, yeah, we don't get to know them very well because, well, the first movie, we got to know the kids okay. That's one of the only dramatic things in this movie, and it's more than once. Yeah. Fulton and Portman battle with each other. Then they become the best of friends. Just immediately. There's more than just friendship going on there. They're trading bandanas,
0: and those bandanas are looking more and more stylish.
1: I've been really trying, Portman. But then they eventually get on each other's nerves again later on. But then the black kids in L.A. fix all that. And that's young Keenan Thompson playing Russ, by the way. You probably recognized him. Yep. So he's in D3 as well. Yaps at them for a while from the sidelines. The Goodwill Games in L.A. in the summer... Which is odd. Not that you can't have ice inside in the summer, but it still seems weird to me to do it then. That's maybe one reason why these kids are available to do all this, though, because they're not in school. And they can travel for this many days as well. They'd have to be in school otherwise. But they have a tutor. That's right. Isn't it supposed to be in the summer though? They said, what are you kids been doing all
0: summer? Maybe it's supposed to be the fall. Maybe I missed that point. I don't know. I didn't really consider the timing too much of it until you were just saying this, but
1: they have a tutor who's hanging around the team for some reason. There's no way this is a winter movie because when Charlie's recruiting everybody, they're wearing summer-ish, spring-ish at least outfits, maybe even early fall outfits. In Minnesota. In Minnesota. So yeah. if it was supposed to be November-ish, they would not be wearing these kinds of clothes. No, I think you're right. I think it is summer. I just never considered it that much, but now I'm confused. But why a tutor though? I don't know. I guess just for a quasi romantic to interest. build up. Yep. Hans's brother, Jan, played by Jan Rubis. He's the old dude in Witness. He's Eli, the one yeah. who's the father of Kelly McGillis, right? That's right. So he's the dude in that movie. He hasn't done a lot of other films that I really picked out, but that was one of the big ones. And he does a good job at this. He does basically the same job Joss Ackland did in the previous film. I'm proud of Gordon, which is one of the moments in that movie that worked pretty well when that happens with Joss and Emilio at the end. But the love interest is Michelle replacing Charlie's mother. And we just hear from Jan that she got married. Because I think maybe it's supposed to be at least a year, maybe more has passed. Charlie went off at the end of the first film. That's a nice continuity thing to try to play pro hockey, to try to break in with the bigs. And then we see the beginning of that. But then his knee goes out on him and he can't play anymore. The Jan thing is fine. He's also the guy that brings in the jerseys at the end where they're all the ducks. They have a voiceover by the announcer that says, you can change uniforms. (laughs) No, you can't. I don't know if that's true or not, but that just seems like a complete lie. But the movie's called D2, The Money yeah. Ducks. They really aren't the ducks. There's the money it's symbol. It's the
0: money. The thought I had throughout the entirety of this movie that just really crystallized when they did come out wearing the actual Anaheim Ducks NHL jersey. For the third period. Why does this movie exist? Flashing through my head was just the guy from the pitch meeting doing his producer voice saying, so you got a movie for me? What's that, a Mighty Ducks sequel? The first movie kind of wrapped up in a nice little blow. It felt like an emotional, complete movie. I don't really know if we need a sequel or what that's going to accomplish for us. And then the writer is going, the money! Oh, I like that. I like money. Yeah, let's do it. What do <laughs> you got for me? This is just one long advertisement for the Anaheim Ducks NHL franchise. Let's go hockey in California. Why else is it in L.A. in the summer at the pond? The Arrowhead Pond. Arrowhead Was it Pond. Called pond that? Or originally? Something?
1: It's something else now. They're all sponsored now by Staples or Honda or, yeah I don't know, gum. No, you mean Crypto.com Arena, right? Is that one of them? Well, Staples Center is now Crypto. Oh, I didn't it's know that. It's the Crypt. Wrigley Field. We all think of the venerable baseball stadiums. Wrigley Field is a marketing thing, but people don't remember. Well, they should, but they don't think of the fact that Wrigley Field is based on the gum. It's so old, it's been grandfathered in. kind of has been. It also has a good ring to it. Staples Center had a pretty good ring to it. But Crypto or Quicken Loans Arena, I think that's Cleveland, that just sounds stupid the crypto camping something or other camping gear arena (laughs) camping gear there is something like that I forget what it's called but it's something like that really that's lame anyway sorry I cut you off there as you were describing the emotion the love interest yeah because Michelle Catherine Irby I think is how you say her name E-R-B-E She's got a pretty good role as Kevin Bacon's wife in A Stir of Echo. a horror film later, I don't know, seven or eight years later. And this is the actress that plays the tutor, Michelle, the
0: yeah. Michelle, not the Icelandic no. woman that shows up like the The
1: only times. two reasons we always talk about, can you score this movie? Catherine Irby is cute, likable. You can see sure. why Amelia is into her. She looks a lot like Charlie's mother from the first film, who's married now. Non-descript blonde lady. <laughs> Check. <laughs> and Maria is Maria Ellingson. Who I believe is actually from Iceland, and I think she actually told some of the guys how to speak properly, use their language properly. Because apparently none of the names from any of the Icelandic players, other than maybe Gunnar, the main guy who has the shootout block by Julie. We'll get to that later. I think most of the names are not I read that, are not Icelandic. I didn't really think about it, but most names are Son. Yeah. The coach is Sun. He's Stanson. But those two do raise the score quotient a little bit, as does Emilio with both his slick back hair and the suit. Or his wavy, floppy hair. But typical for a Ducks film, a Disney film, you're not scoring. But there are some good-looking adults in this film, at least. Yeah, that's true. And on side, one of the
0: kids did get kiss-blocked at the beginning of the movie, so...
1: The love relationship from the first film, it's Guy and Connie... Anyway, those two are into each other in the first film. You see them kiss at the very end when they win the championship over the Hawks in the first movie, and they're still together. And he's kiss-blocked. And he's mad at Charlie and the guys for doing that. But they've probably been kissing plenty of times. They were together. They already kissed before. He's been biding his time for this whole year, Ryan. Just
0: waiting for that second kiss. And then, oh, so close. <laughs> I might get to one and a half base. Oh, my God. You mentioned the Hawks. So in that same sequence, just yeah. after they got kiss-blocked, for some reason, you have to bring back these three players from the Hawks team. So that... One of whom,
1: skating with them at this point is still their friend, even though one guy had said, "'What did you do?' "'My job.'" He wipes out Adam. But <laughs> earlier in the first movie, all three of those guys are friends. And when the guy who asks, "'What did you do?' He's concerned for Adam, who's on the Ducks now, but is still his friend. Yeah. When hockey's over, they can be friends again. I know. Apparently they couldn't be, but they could have been friends again. But they all hate the Ducks so much that even Adam can't make them think, "'That's over with,' and our coach is a jerk. Plus, didn't the coach in the first movie say, "'Mr. Popcaller, "'You're off the team next year if we lose.'" Yeah. So why do they care anyway? It's over. Uh, it makes no sense. The plan
0: itself makes no sense. They're like fishing or something, right? So they stretch some fishing line across the path. And maybe you trip one person with that. I don't know if the writer of this movie has ever gone fishing in their life. But fishing line, not that thick. One leg okay. going through it is going to snap that line
1: so fast. And so he'll go down, but that'll be it. It's not the most devious plan in the world. But Fulton beats them up and stops and where does, and it. where and does Fulton them. come from? He's been following them around all this time, just in case. Just in case. He's that kind of enforcer. Even when they're not playing hockey, better watch my guy's back. He's dedicated to I got their back. I got Charlie's back. And Charlie's getting them all together. So I got his back. Dedicated to the role of enforcer. So well, just... this movie's all about callbacks from the first film, and Fulton having their back is a big callback. He's far from the worst thing in this movie, for sure. His big slap shot is stopped this time, and he's stunned when it happens, but the shot can't be that hard. We talked about that in the other podcast, I'm sure, which is, okay, fine, it's for comedy's sake, but nobody can shoot the puck that hard. No. Especially a child.
0: Speaking of slap shots, and speaking of that tutor, Michelle's is her Michelle name? Michelle
1: the character's name. Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: Catherine Irby. Because she shows up at one of the practices when the team is all together... I think it's Fulton that takes the shot, but it's one of those hilariously wild shots that clanks the new sponsor in the head. (laughs) Again, almost certainly a traumatic head injury. This guy just took a puck to the dome. The line is, I'll have a cheeseburger and fries with a chocolate milkshake or something. The Michelle character is just like, Oh, you, you're babbling incoherently. I think he's going to be fine. (laughs) He doesn't know where he is. Yeah. He doesn't know what's going on. And your interpretation of that is, oh, he's fine. Never mind the fact that you're not a medical professional or anything. You're a child tutor. Oh, he has CTE now. (laughs) Michael Tucker,
1: who is best known for LA Law, the TV show solid actor he does what he needs to do it's hard to fault him for what he's trying to do which is put this team together for usa's glory but also for money oh my god they want to make money as does disney as does everybody and then gordon needs the money (laughs) yes you can't blame gordon he's lost his dream he has no lawyer job anymore it's even mentioned about mr ducksworth from the first film which is why this team was ever called the ducks in the first place yeah it's based on that guy's name Gordon isn't selling out. The movie makes it seem like he's being so evil and he's got this great beach house. Twist my arm. A lot of famous people actually making cameos in that sequence. A lot of athletes from other sports. And then later on, we see Wayne Gretzky showing up to take a picture with the Ducks. Just call me Wayne. Ah! He had called the New Jersey Devils a Mickey Mouse organization. And now here he is helping and supporting a Mickey Mouse team because they are being made by a Disney organization. And at this point, for many years, in fact, he was in L.A., which helped spawn the Mighty Ducks in Anaheim, the hockey team. Full circle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me do the Rotten Tomatoes numbers, and I'll do the Nutshell as well. And we'll get into the big rivalry in this movie. That's where to lead us into that. Rotten Tomatoes numbers are not good. 21% of critics, that's all, like this movie. 4.3 out of 10, as an average. 14 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And 59% of audiences, almost the exact same scores for the first film. And it's pretty close for the third one, too. It was 21% for the first film for Rotten Tomatoes, 21 for this, and I think it was 20 for the third one. And the audiences were a little lower for the third, but about the same. Not that much different. I know we weren't rating movies when we started out. We weren't, yeah. But I can confidently say this is a
0: substantially worse movie than the first movie. So the fact that they're that similar
1: is shocking and it doesn't make any sense. But the movie did okay. It was 30th in 1994 at the box office. Angels in the Outfield, which we covered, I think it was our fourth ever podcast was 26th blue chips was 58th and major league two which i mentioned before 45th so we've covered those first two angels and blue chips but major league two we will cover that one day i did enjoy that film i haven't seen it in its entirety in a long time but i remember enjoying that although that was the first movie all over again too which is what this movie is all about but here's the big thing the hawks were the villains in the first movie and they were unlikable mostly because of lane smith playing their coach it isn't really the kid's fault that whole my job This kid has been pushed by his coach to take out Banks. I think we even see that scene. Take out him out of the game. The guy does it. He shouldn't have. This is his friend. You also could have broken his neck. And then the other friend is the one who's saying, what did you do? So now we have the replacement. Basically the same uniforms. Black in the first movie, black (laughs) in this movie. And that's Iceland. A bit of a fun touch because it's not Russia. It's not Canada. It'd be fun if they did a murder ball type of thing. The documentary, which was many years later, of course. But we root for America in Murder Murderball and against Canada because we're following the American team. Anyway, you pick Iceland. I think that's actually not funny, but a clever touch. But in a nutshell, D2, The Mighty Ducks, I was rooting for Iceland. Yeah. They're not nice people. They shouldn't win. Their coach isn't as bad as the Lane Smith color popper in the first film. The comedy in this movie is so obnoxious. The characters are not funny. They're kids. It's a comedy for kids. Fine. Fine. But I didn't like the movie so much that I was actually rooting for them to lose against the bad guy team. I knew they wouldn't, but I was rooting for that. The Icelandic
0: team is also so poorly developed. And like you said, the villains in the first movie are also not well developed, but the coach is played so well. That actor is the kind of guy that exudes smarm, right, in the first movie. So you hate him so much that you in turn root for the ducks and... They did a better job in the first movie of making Gordon and the kids more likable and empathetic anyway, but there's no villain in this movie that you really hate too much like the Stanson guy. I feel like it was a huge opportunity missed there because you hear Gordon say a few times, oh, this guy was the dentist or something. He's implying that he was a thug and he had a short-lived NHL career. And at one point, Gordon even mocks how sad this guy's career was. We opened this movie with you dreaming of reaching the NHL and you failed. And now you're mocking this guy for achieving the dream that you didn't make. We see him mock Gordon at a press conference once. We're going all the way, USA. And then in the line is, you're going down is where you're going. It was like a grade eight locker room insult level thing. There's going to be trouble. Trouble it is. Yeah. For you. Oh, damn it. <laughs> but We have no real reason to hate this guy. In the first movie we see the coach forcing these kids to do objectionable things kind of against their they comply but you can oh, tell the hawks coach yes. the hawks right. coach but they're hesitant to do it we don't see any of that in this movie all right. we see are the players just viciously hacking at the docks the huge players yeah they're like 25 year olds on steroids <laughs> and then laughing maniacally as they go to the penalty box every time none of them have an ounce of remorse about anything I forgot that's true, yeah. I think it's more effective if you're a viewer watching kids play hockey, if you see an adult behaving badly, pushing kids to do things that they shouldn't be doing. That gives a sense of loathing. When you
1: see kids being jerks, like, oh, that kid's kind of a jerk. Kids are just jerks sometimes. Well, Fulton and Portman, the way they play to the crowd... And there's a point where Emilio says in this movie, this is just a circus. He's not wrong. He should be embarrassed the way that his players are playing. Yeah. And also America, as always, is the overdog. Okay, not the 1980 Olympic Games. And by the way, when Emilio has them do the Herbies in this movie, they weren't called that. That had happened in reality. The Herbies from the 1980 Miracle thing, right, mm-hmm. with the America hockey team. So that had happened in reality. That story probably got out there. And then these kids are kept after a game to skate like they are in Miracle. But then the movie Miracle came 10 years after this one did. This movie beat that one to the punch with that scene that I've referenced many times because it plays out so well with, again, 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 until finally Arruzzioni gets it. Mike Arruzzioni, I play for the United States of America. In this case, America is the overdog. And there are other games, apart from, I guess, the Germany game, I think it was the Germany game where the knuckle puck wins a 3-2 game. But they blew out Trinidad and Tobago. They blew blew out the hockey superpower trinidad and <laughs> <Aban. Tobago. laughs> they blew out italy at some point yes. they got waxed by iceland but they were winning huge they were overdogs along with iceland i guess iceland still makes me laugh to say <laughs> it should be the russians really although russia wasn't really a superpower and that's probably why they weren't the villains in this movie in the first place america's not the underdog they're the no. overdog they're only the underdog in this movie because you make this made-up team from a small country that isn't even a hockey power be the overdog but of course the Iceland team should be this confident if they're this talented and then yes the insults are not that it's also a pg or g-rated movie i guess that's part of the problem but when Stanson and Gordon have their little one-on-one thing and then he hacks Gordon's knee so dumb and yes that's a cheap shot but even Gordon gets over pretty fast oh well life happens yeah because he doesn't want his players to be obsessed with that whole deal and they shouldn't be because that wasn't part of what they're there for Stanson shouldn't have done that. But what are you going to do? You're going to hack him in the face with your stick? He grew up in the first movie. He's growing up in this movie. He's not going to try to get revenge. The Gordon of the first movie probably would have, well, he couldn't write then, but at some point would have tried to get revenge. But it's more a matter of, you don't count. If you're going to be that way with me, you don't count. So we know Stanson's yeah. a dick in that way, and maybe they would say they're addressing it and he is the Lane Smith surrogate. But I don't know that that's true because they're still the underdog. The Hawks in the first movie are the Oilers of the 80s or the Islanders of the 80s or the Canadians yes. of all time in hockey not so much the last many years, I guess, but they're all the overdogs. Iceland is the team we should want to root for, and the Mighty Ducks, well, the American team in this movie, eventually called the Ducks, as much as they're supposed to be so fun and cute... I wanted to strangle their kids, but (laughs) I didn't care for the antics, so I was rooting for the other team because I hated the movie so much.
0: You mentioned the one-on-one thing between Gordon and Stanson, and I didn't understand what purpose any of that served. Old men showing off, or grown men showing off. Gordon is chirping Stanson, which is fine. You play one-on-one sports, you chirp whoever you're playing against. And then Stanson, yeah, gives him like a little hack to the knee, but... And Not to defend a cheap shot to the knees or anything when they're not wearing pads, but you watch anybody play hockey. It happens, right? You're constantly, as long as you're not up in the head or around the hands, trying to obstruct your opponent with your stick somehow, including around the knees.
1: Hockey players called a love tap.
0: We know from the opening sequence that Gordon hurt his knee. Stanson wouldn't know that. It meant nothing anyway because they're not playing on any teams. They're both coaches, I was expecting, quite honestly, when that happened, for the result of that one-on-one thing to be, okay, well, Gordon gets hurt. He re-aggravates that knee injury. He can't show up to the final game or something. He can't stand behind the bench. He can't stand up for the game. So he doesn't show up. He doesn't show up because he's sulking earlier. Yeah. So we don't get that. And instead, we just get him not showing up. You had one job, Gordon. One job. Yeah. Show up for the final on time. Because
1: It wasn't what... the final. It was a different game than the final. No, it was against Iceland. No, it wasn't the final. It wasn't? I thought that was the game against Iceland. That's when they played Germany. So oh, Gordon's okay. late, and then Charlie, one of the things where he's still a player but becomes a coach.
0: That's right. And
1: he picks Michelle, and she doesn't know what she's doing. And again, it's supposed to be funny. It's not funny. But then Gordon shows up with a duck quack, and they aren't responding. That was decent writing, actually, because they shouldn't. They shouldn't the respond. The kids, maybe kids, they should be mad at him for that. As you just said, one job, get over yourself, get over whatever your problems are that you have from the first movie all over again, and at least show up for that and deal with whatever the problem is later on. But what was inexplicable to me is that game happened after the
0: magical appearance of Hans or Yawns or whatever is. Yawn. Name. Yawn. So you already had the moment where it was like, Gordon, stop being a stuck up jackass. Get yourself together. Remember what this is all about. And so he already had that peering in the sunset moment yeah. where he goes skating on the boardwalk. Gordon already had his revelatory come to Jesus moment. Doesn't have a watch though. Apparently
1: he doesn't have a watch. Yeah. That's the big problem. I One thing like, he missed the first five minutes of the game. He misses the first two periods of that game, and it doesn't really explain why. Right? He never tells. I will never do this to you again. Why'd you do it to us
0: today? Yeah, what was going on, man? at least explain to Michelle so we as the audience know what you're doing because like I said you already had that revelatory moment so where the hell were you because that was sunrise or sunset the night prior that we saw that Mm -hmm. skate on the boardwalk presumably this game is afternoon or evening so that's like 13 to 18 hours later (laughs) what
1: were you doing (laughs) he's exhausted his skating double I think Estevez can skate maybe but his skating double looks nothing like him I know it's very funny in the early scenes of the film the very beginning when we see him trying to make the NHL and then that rollerblading thing there nothing like him at all which is also true when Charlie jumps over somebody in the funny sequence when he's recruiting all the kids i'll cut them that slack because having somebody jump over something else on rollerblades yeah. and not die would either require a stuntman who's willing to fall when you cut and you don't make it look like he did fall you can't risk joshua jackson actually hurting himself like that but also terrible casting for the stuntman or stunt kid for him too none of the action is particularly well done none of the stunts are particularly well
0: done when yawn shows up in california and speaks to gordon he gives him the whole speech, right? Because the whole reason that Gordon gets recruited to begin with in this movie is that this guy that runs the hockey apparel company is known to Yawn somehow. They know each other, and so Yawn spoke up Gordon to this guy, right? Yawn says to him, Listen, Gordon, I told these guys that you were the guy, not just because of your hockey skill, prowess, knowledge, whatever. You would get through to the kids. You would help them understand the fun of the game and all this other stuff. More fun!
1: Yeah. More fun! In the first movie.
0: yeah. So that's what Jan says, and that's how he gets through the Gordon, and Gordon has his epiphany, whatever. But about five minutes prior to that, after America got waxed by Iceland, that owner of the hockey apparel company goes up to Gordon and says, You damn well better win from here on out, otherwise I'm out of a job, and you're back to Palookaville, Minnesota. No, so he made
1: it pretty clear he's not the owner.
0: Okay, even if he's not the owner, how does your career with this hockey apparel company rely on a children's team winning in a goodwill game scenario i don't really understand how any of that matters he's riding gordon the kids better win or else and then five minutes later yawns like listen what are you doing man i told this guy that it wasn't all about winning with you it was about getting through to the kids so just forget about winning and get through to the kids but when but also, as but I get through, yeah, but, but
1: also, win, but get through. No wonder he has to skate all night long. Yeah. Kind
0: of boardwalk. Maybe that's what he was doing. He was trying to figure out how these two dudes who know each other were cross messaging at him the whole movie. <sighs> it felt to me like a sequence of five minute sketches a bunch of different writers just wrote as parodies or homages to the original Mighty Ducks. And it felt like the screenwriter just took 20 of them and mashed them all together. But one five-minute segment does not line up with the next five-minute segment, does not line up with the next five-minute segment. It's like they
1: exist independently of one another. Even though the movie's ripping off the first film, that's true. The sequence in Beverly Hills with the, what is it, four kids, they mix and match because you got some of the new kids, the newbies, the multi-culti newbies, too. Where they're going around Rodeo Drive. Right. You could cut that out entirely. Oh, yeah. It wasn't funny. I know it's supposed to be funny, but it's not. And it's just a time waster. Four kids wasting the time of these poor store owners. So Goldberg gets more screen time. These poor
0: people are just trying to operate their businesses and earn a and living. And he
1: lies about who he
0: is. You have to have the Latin American kid from Miami. You have to have the stereotypical cowboy from Texas that for some reason wears the Stetson hat to the hockey rink. You have to have
1: the girl goalie. Got have to have
0: the girl goalie. And you got to have the Asian figure skater. Mm-hmm. There's a certain element of that to the first movie as well. But credit where credit's due. At least in the first movie, all these kids, barring Averman... They all had a skill (laughs) set to them that came into play at some point. That doesn't exist in this movie. That Texan kid does nothing except... They show him being extraordinary at handling the puck, and he does it once when they actually play games. Yeah, we barely see him. He basically only exists to make fun of the pronunciation of Rodeo Drive in Mm -hmm. that sequence that could just not be in the movie, and then to lasso. For some reason, he brought his bloody rope to the bench. On the bench. On the bench. But he lassos that kid, gets a penalty,
1: and then otherwise, he's basically not in the movie. But he's so good at handling the puck that maybe it's supposed to be that when they scored 11 goals and 12 goals, he was a big part of that because of his puck handling ability, but we don't see show, any of show that. Show something. And these newbies are pretty good players, but they battle with the Ducks players in the beginning. They don't gel. But then just out of nowhere, one little thing happens. Ah, ha, 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 ha. We're all friends. And then they gel, but then they battle again. And that's all the black kids in L.A., including Russ, of course, and also Vesela Shannon, who's in the Hurricane. He's the kid that inspires Reuben Carter. Hate put me in here. Love's going to bust me out. He's the kid who read Hurricane Carter's book and then helps get him out of jail. Oh, is he? And he's one of those kids. He's the older the... brother of Russ or whatever. I think it's supposed to be literally the brother of Russ, right? Okay. He's in the stands, too. They show them watching the finals and they're right. cheering it on. He's the one that shows the little Asian guy how to pull the sweater over the goalie, isn't it? He sweaters him.
0: Oh, yeah, ultimately. I you're... taught him that. Yeah, that's the guy. Okay. So that's
1: Vasella Shin. And then, of course, Keenan Thompson... And also Mike Vittar, who the year before this was in The Sandlot with Brandon Adams, who's in the first two Ducks films. He's Jesse, the black kid, okay. the cake eater one. He's always calling Banks that. Right. So they were both in The Sandlot between the two Ducks films. But then in comes Mike Vittar to be in D2 and D3. You've got such a multi culty team now as well. Diversity. You've got two girls and all these people that aren't white people to begin with. Plus, Jesse was already on the team. His brother's not back. There's maybe four or five players in the first film that aren't back. They're not even really addressed why they're not back. Maybe the actors weren't available, but you also wanted a paired-down team. I basically feel like that's just because
0: Charlie didn't have their schedule written down like he did the other players, So when he was skating around town, he couldn't find them, so sorry, guys, you're not in this movie. But to me, one of the fatal flaws of this whole premise, and whether it's because the writer, director, producer, whatever, felt like they needed to up the stakes, is when you make this a national event... It makes less sense to me because in the first movie, at least, if you have a local Minnesota state team, it makes sense that these sad sack players exist because it's House League. But at the point when you make it to the national stage, A, it doesn't merely make sense that most of these players are going to play on a national team of any description anyway. If Gordon has the opportunity as the coach to put some of his favorite players on the team, fine. Good for you, Goldberg. Thanks, and that's probably it. That's about it. But the rest of the players should be at least competent players. But you got a guy there that basically can't stop. You've got the Texan guy who is apparently a fantastic stick handler, but we never really see that anyway. you got a figure skater that has never played hockey before, but is a great skater. I guess he's the Jake Gardner of this team. But, and I guess credit where credit's due. Of all of these new kids that we're introduced to, the figure skater Wu is the only one that I found endearing at all. The scene in the playground where he learns how to sweater other players I thought was kind of cute... And the fact that when he's introduced, he's introduced by the sponsor as this kid that had never played hockey, but was untouchable because of his figure skating skills. And then later on, when America's getting waxed by Iceland, Gordon goes from on the bench is like, "Woo, we need something to happen here, man. What can you do for me?" And he lists off a series of figure skating moves and break, <laughs> yeah. make it happen. He immediately gets waxed by two giant
1: Icelandic defensemen, and he goes back to the bench. And Gordon's like, "Was that it?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, that was it." But later on, does score a goal by lutzing axling whatever past That's two right. defenders landing and then scoring because a lot of the newbies do score goals in the big game in the first movie fulton scores a big goal bank scores a goal and gets hurt and like so many films i think i mentioned that in that podcast 100 episodes ago or whatever 99 episodes ago these kinds of sports films in that era well this is only two years after the first movie you would always win with the original group so fulton gets kicked out i'm on coach Dumps a guy, I'm off coach, so he's not part of the game at the end. Banks gets hurt, not part of the game at the end, so it ends up being the original team. This doesn't become that. In fact, the newbies end up being heroic as much as any of the other players. It's not like Banks, who's noticing the scouts. It's a big deal for him. He doesn't score a bunch of goals. He's still nursing an injury. He can handle the stick now, but he's still not healthy. Maybe that's part of the reason why they don't make him such a focus. But the newbies get their moment in the sun. I guess that's the reverse. It's not the original people that end up being the focus of the team, and all the talented newbies like Banks and Fulton from the first movie are gone, but they still beat the Hawks, which is so unrealistic, of course, anyway, but especially though Banks and Fulton, how does that happen? But it's a fantasy. In this movie, the new players are as much a key as the actual Ducks players were.
0: And that's another reason why this movie failed, because the tone of the movie keeps changing from slapstick comedy to whatever the hell the middle part was to feel good at the end. But it's the same thing with the players. We don't get enough time with them to really understand... Anything about what's happened to their lives at all? All we get are vignettes of them basically screwing around, right? Like you mentioned, the rodeo drive sequence.
1: Oh, and also the stupid thing with their messing with Averman, with the shaving cream thing. Oh, because nobody would notice being completely bathed in shaving cream until at the very last second. What am I doing? Covering all this stuff? Come on! I guess kids think it's funny. It's not funny.
0: If you're gonna do that, do the classic shaving cream on the palm and then tickle their nose thing. Boom, done. You know, well, they start with that, but then it just ups the it, ante. Up, the upping the ante is dumb. But you don't get any meaningful time with them. We're not meant to care about them. We're not given any reason to, at least. We're barely introduced to the new kids, and then we're thrown into the tournament. Those new kids are integral to the victory, but so what? Why do I care about these new kids? Mm. If we're talking about the first movie again, at
1: least we knew a little bit about Charlie, right? We knew a little bit about Goldberg, and why should we care about them? They were friends to begin with, and now they're bonding in this hockey situation. Russ, I think we do care about Partly because it's Kenan Thompson, who's become a comedy legend in and SNL. And he is charismatic in this movie as a young kid. Gets right a lot of too. screen time, too, considering yeah. he's only about half the movie. Of all the annoying bits in this movie, he's maybe the
0: least annoying. He and his brother are okay in this. But honestly, there's so little to care about, and it's so obvious what this movie wants you to feel, and it's unearned. It just feels like the screenwriter watched good examples of movies where there were emotional moments or moments of catharsis or something, and they're like, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that, too. I'm just going to have it happen, and everyone's going to love it, and they're going to feel great, and it's going to be awesome. And I couldn't help but think about Rocky III, since that's a movie we just talked about, Mm Rocky is a champion that gets the snot kicked out of him, has to come back to the sport and reinvent himself and win. In this movie, we've got Gordon Bombay, who, in the world of minor league hockey anyway, is a champion. He goes to pursue his NHL dream, gets the snot kicked out of him, loses his way, becomes corporatized, and has to find his way again to reconnect with the sport and win. In Rocky 3, as silly as that movie is... You care about Rocky's journey because there's some really meaningful and heartfelt moments along the way. Whether it's the stuff with Mick, the stuff with Adrian, or the stuff between Apollo and Rocky. Those moments are played well and they're played for emotional heft that makes you want Rocky to beat
1: Clubber. And a sequel that is playing off the first couple of movies. Exactly. Which this certainly does too, but that does it far better.
0: Yeah, and if it can happen in a movie as silly as Rocky 3 it can be done anywhere you just have to understand where the emotion is in the relationships and make sure that you flesh those relationships out and play it for all it's worth and this movie just makes no effort to do it at all so mm-hmm. if you're not going to do that and you're also frankly not going to be funny and I know we've talked over and over about how often there are jokes in this movie that just aren't funny but really there aren't even that many obvious attempts at jokes You mentioned the shaving cream shtick. You mentioned the Rodeo Drive thing. And slapstick on the ice and practices in some of the games as well. But there's really not as much as you would expect for a pure comedy. But there's also no real emotion to this movie, Mm. I don't think. By the end of it, I'm just like, okay, I guess the Ducks wins. So what? They're on the Wheaties box. Why? I've never seen a junior (laughs) hockey team on a Wheaties box ever. But okay, they haven't even won it yet, but they're already on the Wheaties box.
1: Sure. It's marketing, which is, of course, what the (sighs) Mighty Ducks, the actual hockey team, was about. And certainly the first movie was about. I guess I mentioned all the actors, at least in broad strokes, a lot of them returned from the first film and then maybe came back from the third film. Estevez has not acted that much in recent years, but is in the, I think, three. Yes, he is in D3. Of course, the first one. Also played a wrestler in The Breakfast Club. So really sports <laughs> <one>. It's mentioned. <laughs> Two hits. Me hitting you, you hitting the floor, he says to <laughs> Judd Nelson in that film. And I've already talked about Weissman doing a bad job directing and Burl doing a bad job writing this sequel, but Mark Irwin... Was the cameraman. He also shot Kingpin, which we've covered, one of our first movies, maybe the first five or ten movies we ever covered, the bowling film, probably the only bowling film we'll ever do. And he also shot, I'd love to see this again, it's been a long time, I can't find it, Youngblood, a hockey movie from the 80s. And then The Ringer, which we probably won't cover because I'm sure that's pretty on PC. I think that's also on Disney Plus. I know I've seen that in some streaming service lately, the thumbnail. I don't think we're going to cover it. Okay, fair enough. But he did the camera work for Mm -hmm. all those movies, and of course, The Farrelly's, a lot of their films, and Cronenberg, David Cronenberg here in Canada.
0: What did you think about the camera work in this? I guess just from the hockey perspective of it. I guess when they
1: actually play hockey and they're not messing around, it's decently well done, but it's still not a well-portrayed hockey movie because this movie knows nothing of hockey. The first movie wasn't a good hockey film, not like Miracle or some of the other hockey films we've covered, but it's not awful about it, I don't think. I haven't seen the first one since we covered it all those years ago, but I've seen it a few times in my life. And when you build up towards the end, I think it basically makes sense this one has moments of that so i shouldn't say it knows nothing of hockey but in some ways it doesn't know anything about hockey partly because of some of the stupid stuff players should be getting game misconduct some of the stuff they do fulton and portman especially or even the roping kid yeah coming on the ice you think it's funny and cute but you aren't supposed to be on the ice when you're an extra man it is a bad look you're defending your teammate you're defending the girl teammate granted those are good things but Play the game properly. It's so funny, Ryan. You're being a crumb bum. I'll be the crumb bum. <laughs> you are being a crumb bum. We are being
0: G-rated. It's meant to be kids playing hockey, so you can get away with some stuff in terms of it looking sloppy that you wouldn't be able to get away with with a movie like Miracle, where they're meant to be basically pro-level athletes at that, that close point? to it. Yeah, or close to. There are things that happen in this when Banks gets
1: savagely slashed. The over The referees their don't call any of those kinds of things until once in a while they will, but he's clearly slashed after the play's dead the kid should be out of the game like two hand
0: chop the kind
1: of chop that McSorley laid and almost killed the guy out of guy the tournament with. that kid should be really yeah
0: earlier <laughs> in the game Fulton no not Fulton who was the new kid Portman Portman, Portman. Fulton Portman whatever the new kid Portman like,
1: they belong they to- belong they belong together. together just insert them over Sasha tap, Baron tap. Cohen and Will Farrell at the end of what do you call that the potato thing tap tap they yeah. do that so many times he
0: lays out the Icelandic player or something and the ref comes up and touches him on the elbow and he flings his arm up and the ref's like, whoa, you're out of here, man. And Portman gets kicked out. It reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where Uncle Leo loses his eyebrows. Elaine paints the <laughs> mad one on him. And yeah. The doctor's like, whoa, calm down. And he's like, I am calm. That was a similar thing. Portman just shrugs his shoulder, not knowing who's touching him. And the ref's like, you're out of here. And then two minutes later, the Icelandic guy, two hand, assaults the other player. And the ref's like, go back to the bench. What the hell? Come on, he almost killed the dude there. This was a movie that was so focused on the comedy that ultimately the hockey took second fiddle. Be funny, be emotional, or just be dedicated to the sport. Be something. And it really felt like it was none of those things. Mm-hmm. And granted, this is me being a hockey geek and nitpicking. You can't come to a full stop in a shootout. Multiple players do, though. M-
1: Fulton does. Fulton does. Second you come to a full stop, the puck's dead. And You're so done. doesn't the... What's his name again? Gunner. Doesn't he do it too? shoots, he shoots I think at so. Julie, he must have a shot like that.
0: Yeah. And the number of times that kids are just standing for 5, 10, 15 seconds, like all right, I'm going to do this now, and then taking a shot at a full stop. Where is everybody else on the ice while this is going on? The
1: knuckle puck earlier in the film, before the finals, when Russ is the goalie, or maybe it's in the... Well, anyway, whatever it is, when oh, Russ is playing the can goalie... Can we talk about that for a second? You too. can't do that. You can't take off your mask, for one thing. At this level of hockey, the referee would blow the whistle because that's a danger, so yes. plays dead. At what point... Did Goldberg get out of his goalie equipment? And no one noticed this. And Russ on the ice, into it on the ice. Or on the bench. And either nobody way. nobody noticed. Yeah. And where is Goldberg at that point? Yeah. He's just disappeared. He's hiding. And this guy never shuts up. So how do you keep him hidden? Because this was not between
0: periods. This was a 60 second timeout yeah. and they swap positions. It takes time to get in and out of goalie equipment.
1: <laughs> Knuckle puck thing is fun, but God, if you're ever to do something like that, you couldn't rely on it actually going in the net. It would probably be a lot like Fulton's shots in the first movie where this could work once in a while, but whenever he shoots a knuckle puck, That's except right. when he's blocked from doing it, it always works.
0: And it's not an awful concept. If a puck is sitting on its end like that and somebody shoots it, it can basically go anywhere. You have little control over it. But when they introduce it, Russ says, you've never seen the knuckle puck? It's really hard to control, but goalies hate it. Except for the one time when Russ is blocked while shooting the puck. Yeah, it takes too long.
1: It takes too long. It works. Okay, guys, get ready. I'm going to do something cool here. You don't know me. A lot of black people in this area love hockey, unusually, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, unusual for the mid-90s okay. in LA. Hang on. Do you all see me? I'm going to do something cool. Oh, wait. What happened? Oh, they took the fuck away from me. Yeah, because you took 45 seconds to do something with it. But every other time he shoots it, he scores. It's the miracle shot. So where's the control issue mm-hmm. with this? This movie doesn't know anything about hockey. Sometimes, maybe. Score factor zero because it's a kid's movie, even though we've got attractive adults in it. My score for the movie, I'm giving it a 3 out of 10 because I was getting very frustrated watching this. I didn't like it at all. It's one of the worst movies we've covered. And we haven't covered that many sequels apart from the Rocky films. And we've always at least liked the Rocky sequels. Color of Money was one of our first 5 or 10 movies as well. That was also a sequel we didn't cover. The Hustler. Bev and I did on the other channel a long time ago.
0: We liked Color of Money. We
1: did. But we haven't covered that many sequels. And this is, I would say, easily the worst one of the ones we've covered that I can think of anyway.
0: I know there's been movies I've hated Mystery Alaska made me angry for different reasons. I would also argue oxymoronically that Mystery Alaska is probably a better movie than this is, but it made me angry for different reasons. I think 3 out of 10 is a generous score for this. What did you say? 21% was the... Rotten Tomatoes. If somebody said 2 out of 10,
1: fine. But the but, first movie got 21%. I think it's worth more than that. I
0: feel like the first movie is way better than this. If I had to give it a score now, it'd probably be like a 6 out of 10 or something Five like or that. 5 or 6,
1: something like that, yeah.
0: This is, yeah, like a 2 or a 3. It's an awful movie. How did this get a third in the franchise? This is why when you said right off the top, good idea, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Right? I, well, should, concept, I should not have suggested this. The concept was smart. Maybe we should have done Karate Kid 2 instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not bad. That movie's entertaining enough. Oh, that beer, you're taking a sip there. Is it okay? Yeah, it's fine. I got a little schmutz in the bottom. I guess the dregs came down. Okay. All right. Well, in two weeks, we'll be nostalgic for our own podcast yet again as we cover a title we basically covered before, which we basically did today because it's the same movie, but much worse. The fourth movie we ever talked about was the Danny Glover, Joseph Gordon-Levitt version of Angels in the Outfield. So for episode number 101, we'll take a look at the 1951 version of Angels in the Outfield. That team is the Pittsburgh Pirates, not the California Angels.
0: It would be weird if it was the California Angels when in they the didn't 50s. exist. when they didn't exist. <laughs> A strangely prescient movie from the
1: 50s. Sci-fi in the outfield. <laughs> we're imagining the future that doesn't exist yet. Okay, we're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at, scoring at Movies. You can find all of our episodes, all 100 of them now, wherever you get podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Amazon, Music. We have a website, too. It's Podbean is where our episodes are. Take her easy, ducks. And never grace my door again. Your movies are terrible.